Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with the scripture reading and a message. We would love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. If you are here in Berkeley, Epworth's worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 1953 Hopkins on the corner of Napa and Hopkins. Or if you connect with our podcast from further away, we would invite you to visit our website, epworthberkeley.org. We'd invite you to keep seeking to grow in faith and to stop by the next time you're in Berkeley. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times. And they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt. According to what I did among them, afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites, whose land you dwell. But as for me and, and my house, we will serve the Lord. So, for, so the people answered and said, Far it be from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he is who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way we went among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord 
drove out before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. But we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Well, this week I felt the full force of being back to school and having kids in, in school in two different towns, one some distance away and one in a completely new school and district to us. I've been feeling a bit overwhelmed with registration forms and music and sports signups and contributions and different online portals for parents and just new routines. And I'm guessing that those among us who are, are parents of kids in school may be feeling similarly. And for all of us, I'm guessing you may have noticed an upsurge in the energy and the busyness and the traffic that surrounds us. This Thursday night, my wife Elizabeth and I went to back to school night at Martin Luther King Middle School where our daughter is a seventh grader and where we have a few other Epworth students and a couple of teachers. And we are really lucky in Berkeley to have great schools. The evening went really well though I was aware that I knew no one except Elizabeth and maybe Epworth member Tom McClure, who I think I may have seen across the gym. But after the back to school night, we went over to Saul's. So Saul's is one of my favorite restaurants in Berkeley. How many people are with me and loving Saul's? <laughs> so Saul's is over here on Shattuck. It's a, it's a restaurant that describes itself as bridging the links between the old country and the new world, connecting with our roots all along the timeline of Jewish food. So Saul's is filled with symbols and words and a menu that joyously reflects Jewish culture. And as we sat there, surrounded by this rich array of symbols and words and the flyers referencing the just past Rosh Hashanah. I reflected how the history of Judaism is a story of leaving one place and going to another, of journey. It's a song of exodus and exile and return. And in this rhythm of exodus and exile and return, the Jewish people are being ever confronted with situations and experiences that require both a clarity on what is really important, what gives Jewish faith and life meaning and structure, and a need to refract the core of Jewish faith and culture through the prism of a new culture, giving dimension and, and new discovered wisdom and new light. And Saul's is just one example of that, taking the old world uh, and traditions of Judaism and refracting it through the lens of California and Berkeley. Being a new person in a new land is never easy. And while the story of immigration for any people includes aspects of assimilation, the question of how a person in a new environment maintains faith, engagement, and practice is a complex one. In the last 40 years, a mix of conclusions has been drawn about this question of, of immigration and faith. In a study done in 2011 using data from the New Immigrant Survey, the researchers suggest that immigration 
is a disruptive event that alienates migrants from religious practice rather than theologizing them or leading them into a deeper faith practice. But in other studies, it's been concluded that when immigrants do engage in faith communities, they receive what has been called spiritual capital, or the three R's of refuge, resources, and respect. The difference between losing touch with one's faith and finding new and essential grounding seems to me to be intentionality. The concerted effort to seek out a faith community, to maintain spiritual practices, and to prioritize religious tradition in one's life and one's family's life. The church I grew up in from fifth grade until I graduated from high school, where my father was pastor, was a large suburban church in Kansas City, and a part of this the city in which there was much new housing and a lot of new corporate uh, offices were being constructed. And it was not uncommon for families to be tra transferred by companies to this part of the city. I remember my father talking about these new families and their faith and their intentionality and how they were the lifeblood of our church. Many actually knew that they would only be in this post for one or two or three years. And yet, on their first Sunday in the area, they found the United Methodist Church, transferred their membership, and took on whatever tasks or leadership roles were needed. And I remember my dad always saying that in, in spite of not having long histories in the church, that these folks were some of the most faithful and most present members. In our scripture today from Joshua the Israelites have had a combined 68 years between the exodus from Egypt and then the 40 years of wandering uh, in the desert and the destabilization associated with arriving in a land where they experienced conflict as they attempted to settle. So from the point at which they left Egypt to the point at which they thought they were going to finally have this, this life of of smoothness was, was a full 68 years. Moses, who of course had led the Jews out of Egypt and through the wilderness for the first 40 years, has handed the leadership of the Israelites to his assistant Joshua because Moses is facing the end of his life. And as Moses is dying, he looks with Joshua across the Jordan and tells him that he, Joshua, not Moses, will be the one who leads the people into the promised land. Moses dies, Joshua takes over, but the entry into the promised land isn't an easy one. There are others who live there. In some ways, I find the book of Joshua disturbing. It's a story of a people who come into a new place through force. And I do not believe it should ever be used as a justification for the occupation in Israel or in any other land. But in the context in which it was written, its import was theological, a narrative that scholars tell us is an amalgam of different events of that time, 
combined to express the key ideas contained in the book of Deuteronomy, which were, are the rules and the laws of the people and who they are in relationship to God. These key ideas can be expressed singularly in what is known as the Shema, the prayer of the Jewish people. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Through the wilderness of the Sinai and then to the lands to the north along the Jordan into Canaan, the Israelites had to be intentional to maintain their faith and practice despite the disorientation of migrate migration, and the influence of new people, new places, and new religions. As the book of Joshua closes, as we heard Janae read today, Joshua himself is dying. In his final admonition to the people, he is making clear that they need to choose, to choose to serve God in order to continue as a distinct people, as a people of a distinct faith. He then says the well-known words, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. What does a household that serves God look like? Joshua's words are connected to the words of Deuteronomy 6.9 that give the instruction to write the words of God on one's gates and doorposts. And as Charlie and I shared with the children this morning, this instruction is lived out in the affixing of a mezuzah to the door frames in Jewish households, often just on the front door, but sometimes in every room of the house. In going in and coming out, it is a common practice, as Charlie shared, to touch the mezuzah and then bring the fingers to the lips as a as a prayer and as a way of remembering one's relationship with God and the responsibility as a person of God and as an affirmation of the constancy of God's blessing. What are your reminders and touchstones? The world I grew up in was in many ways a very Methodist world and I remember crosses as well as the cross and flame symbol in various places in my own house or in my grandparents' house. On the wall in our entryway was a painting about four feet by four feet um, painted by Peggy Sample, the wife of contemporary theologian Tex Sample, of the, the virgin, a pregnant virgin Mary, but, but you can barely kind of make out the, the boundaries of her. She seems to be in motion and she's full of color and it's a painting that I love to look at even to this day. In the house of a good friend of mine whose father was the president of the United Methodist Seminary in Kansas City was a framed piece in which there was a, a piece of cloth with the embroidered words, do all the good you can in all the places you can, in all the ways you can, as long as ever you can, which are attributed to the founder of Methodism, John Wesley. This Peace was hung in the bathroom, <laughs> likely because this was the best place for the words to be seen and meditated on on a regular basis. But Joshua proclaimed to the people of Israel that he and his household were making a choice to serve God, 
but he also knew that this choice would need to be made over and over again. And in order to make this choice over and over again, he and his family would need reminders, touchstones, supports in the face of challenges that would surely come. Writing God's words on the doorposts and the gates of his household was one of these sure ways. So what are the devices and the reminders you employ to maintain grounding in God? Maybe they're not in your household, but maybe they're incorporated in your, into your day in some other way and, and communicate to the next generation your faith and your trust in God. By this, I don't mean blind faith or trust without intellect. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who's been uh, weaved in, woven into this, the sermons in the last couple of weeks, this amazing 20th century Jewish theologian um, who was both activist and mystic, um, could simultaneously hold the rigors of intellect with a faith practice that was daily and grounded. And his faith pervaded his household in a way that communicated to others that in spite of his own losses in the Holocaust and the horrors of what he had personally witnessed, he would continue to choose faith and to seek God. He said, the tasks begun by the patriarchs and the prophets and continued by their descendants are now entrusted to us. We are either the last Jews or those who will hand over the entire past to generations to come. We will either forfeit or enrich the legacy of the ages. God does not want us to be stressed, all caught up in our own comings and goings, but to be blessed in our comings and goings. The message of the journey from Egypt to the Promised Land was one on which the Israelites were to learn a key lesson. We must trust in God's promises. God promises presence, God promises sustenance, and God promises blessing. Our role is to keep turning toward God over and over again, making a daily choice, sometimes an hourly choice, to be God's people. May we find ways not only to write God's words on our doorposts, but also to write God's words on our hearts, continually choosing to turn towards God and thereby reflect the message of faith and blessing to the world and to generations to come. Amen.